0: Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. As Winnipeg doesn't resume playing until Friday against the Boston Bruins, I figured we'd continue our series of our top young players in the NHL and beyond. On tonight's show, we're going to take a look at two centers and two young goalies. Before getting to that, though, the Jets do have a little bit of news on the current announcement front, and it is that they are actually looking for a top four defenseman of some sort, whether it's somebody with term or a deadline rental. Now, if it's somebody with term, the options are kind of limited unless the Jets get a little bit creative. I could see them targeting somebody like Colin Miller, or I don't know if they want to go after someone like Jake Muzzin and I believe free agency because he's, he's going to be up and due for a contract soon, but uh, they might also take a look at Travis Hamanick, I guess. Gotta be honest, though, like the list of, of available defensemen with any kind of term is pretty undesirable. I just don't really see an option unless the Jets, uh, unless they get kind of radical and pay up a big team like say, Josh Manson or Hampus Lindholm, and I don't think either of those guys is really on the market. Colin Miller seems like a sensible guy because the Jets wanted him originally from Vegas, but the Knights weren't going to sell him to a or what they considered a, a competitor in their conference, which is kind of funny when you look at how divergent these two teams are. At this point, Vegas has more to fear from its own coaching staff change than it does the Winnipeg Jets. But, all that said... Buffalo ended up with the younger, or I guess not really young, but in his prime defenseman. And since the trade, Colin Miller really hasn't been getting a whole lot of ice time for the Sabres. I think he's played a couple of games here and there, but not not a whole lot. He's gotten scratched a lot of times like he was in Vegas. At this stage of his career, he's a competent top four D. He's about 27, and he's played around, I don't know, a little over 30 games this season. So, I I don't think he's going to be super cheap, but he's probably not going to cost Winnipeg that much if they were to go after him. He's on a fairly affordable deal, and I feel like Miller makes a lot of sense for the Jets because it's somebody that they wanted to begin with, and he'd probably be our second best defenseman as soon as he arrived, which is pretty depressing when you think about it. There was also a suggestion at one point that the Jets might be looking at Zach Bogosian, which, yeah, uh, I don't really want to talk about that one because... Let's be honest, we all know how the last uh, Zach Bogosian stint ended, and it wasn't particularly good for the Jets. I have no idea what, I guess, state Bogo isn't at this point. He's had okay underlying results for the past couple of seasons, but, yeah, I don't know. I really wouldn't be jumping for joy if he came back to Winnipeg. He got, you know, let go for a lot of reasons, but... One of them is that he just wasn't that good when he was here, and he was kind of a glass cannon. Atlanta ruined him, and he's never really lived up to the potential as a top-pairing defenseman that people saw him, uh, you know, at one point as. And, you know, he, would he really be that great for the Jets? Probably not. He'd be a warm body, which is, I guess, more than we can say already. I, I, it's probably easier to watch than Lucas Ibiza and Anthony bateto, I guess. That's that's about the only thing I'm coming up with. Um, the Jets might ship out Dmitry Kulikov, who's been okay, he still kind of makes hand grenade passes and decisions, but at this point in Kulukov's career and contract, you really don't care anymore. I think that that's my general feeling with this team is I've just kind of given up caring because Winnipeg is going to be either really bad or, or do something stupid and, and only marginally improve over the next couple of weeks. So I've just kind of shrugged and said, you know what, whatever, I don't care. I don't really have that much attachment to this season. Winnipeg is going to dig its own grave at this point. And like this refusal to really get better in a meaningful way is kind of pissing me off. I mean, I really want the Jets to be a genuine contender, but the fact that they're thinking about let's just say they they go for a a deadline rental is just idiotic to me. I know that the Jets want to make the playoffs. I know that they do. But this team is not anywhere near competitive enough and the only way that they could survive is if Connor Hellebuck or... Somehow, Laurent Perssois or somebody else goes on an insane goaltending streak. That is literally all the Jets can hope for because they aren't getting any offense, their defense is absolutely terrible, their penalty kill is a mess, the power play is kind of functional on some days and other times not so much. So, what exactly are the Jets even thinking they're going to improve with? I mean, the only options on the deadline are like Jean-Gabriel Pagot, Chris Kreider, and a couple of other guys Neither of those dudes is going to turn this team around. As much as I love Pajot, you know, if he's only a rental, I really have no interest in bringing him in. He's going to be expensive, and he's really not going to do that much for this team. The only guy that I could see, like, the Jets making a play for that's going to be decent is Miller, and he's not really a rental. The list of expiring contracts for the Jets to waste assets and resources on is extremely limited, and supposedly the Jets might even have to move a roster player if Little comes back and they... You know, need need to make a move, and, and somehow Bufflin is involved in part of this process. I'm kind of just shrugging my shoulders because I really don't know what Winnipeg is going to do. They're in a pretty desperate spot. They haven't won that many games. I think they have six wins in their last 20 games. If you think that a trade deadline acquisition is going to change your fortunes with a record like that, I've got news for you, man. It ain't freaking happening, not with this team. And the thing is, is I, I love Winnipeg, and I love the team, and I really want to see them succeed, but I think there has to be some assessment of reality. Look at the situation. If there was a year that the Jets could contend, it was going to be last season. And we all know how that ended. It didn't exactly go all that well. And Maurice kind of took the one deadline asset that we really got and kind of wasted his potential. If Shevelday spends another first to bring in a Kevin Hayes-like guy and the Jets don't even play him more than fourth-line minutes, I just give up. I don't know what else to do with this team. Maurice is continually making decisions for the squad that I don't think are going to end up with the kind of results that he thinks they are. They play excessively boring hockey. Uh, The roster depth is paper thin right now. The defense is a shambles. I I just don't know exactly what the Jets are thinking a trade deadline acquisition is going to fix. Does it satiate the the baying of the fans who are kind of upset with the direction the team has gone? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's a a bit of pressure from ownership to make a move and do something to get them back in a competitive state, but there's nothing Chevy can do to do that unless the team magically improves internally. I'm not sure what analytics that Maurice is talking about or whatever statistical processes that he's examining, you know, from his own internal department, but I can tell you right now, all of the stuff that's happening to the Jets isn't going to get better overnight with one trade. Heck, you really couldn't solve it with two or three trades unless you're getting, you know, John Tavares, Nathan McKinnon, and and Evgeny Malkin or something in short order, unless the Jets are completely comfortable with overhauling their entire roster, there's absolutely no reason for them to make a move at the deadline. The only moves that they should make are to sell guys who are worth some sort of assets and that they don't really figure into the long-term plan and go from there. Neil Pionk, I... Okay, Pionk is kind of difficult for me because I kind of want to keep him around, but I also am a little bit worried after Marcus Pettersson got paid like a little over $4 today, and he's a defensive defenseman with decent results, but, you know, I'd, I would see him as, like, a quality second-pairing guy and probably not that much more. But if you if you take his contract and think about how much Pionk is going to get paid on his next deal, with the amount of points that Pionk has put up this season, I'm not really looking forward to that. There's going to have to be some hard decisions made as to whether or not, you know, a guy like Neal is somebody that the Jets want to keep around to, to remain competitive, because the rest of the blue line will get reinforcements from prospects, but beyond that, there's not many... You know, signs of obvious hope. You need to pay guys some money and and keep a couple of defensemen around who are actually above 7th defenseman quality, but whether or not Pionk is one of those guys, I don't know if the Jets see him that way. I'm sure that they like him, but whether or not they can afford his contract, kind of hard to say. On a cheerier note, it's time to talk about one of my favorite topics, which are prime young centers who are excelling above the rest and who continue to dominate play and I think the first one is going to be a very popular choice for a lot of folks. This one is Matt Barzal of the New York Islanders, and if you've ever watched Barzal play, you wouldn't be surprised by why I've chosen him. Barzal's kind of an interesting player in the fact that he really has this preternatural ability to skate around almost anyone in the NHL. He's very fast, he's got amazing lateral footwork, he's got a lethal shot, and his creativity really knows no bounds. In some ways, he can kind of do the sorts of things that only guys like McDavid have previously been able to accomplish, and it's not that Barzal is really on the same level of talent. I don't know that I could put anyone in that category, especially just because of how far McDavid is above everyone else, and the fact that McDavid creates so much despite being on such a terrible team. All that said, Barzal really stands on his own as one of the most offensively gifted skaters in the NHL, and I don't really think that anyone could argue that. The way that he attacks space sets up his line mates, and continually creates so much havoc in the offensive zone is truly a gift to watch. It's always kind of funny to consider what would have happened if Boston had actually taken Barzal because they had the option of taking him, Kyle Connor, and Oliver Shillington, all with three consecutive picks. Now, two of those guys have gone on to have much more prolific careers than the third guy, Oliver Shillington, but... You know, that's really no disrespect to Sh- to, uh, to Shillington at all. I think Oliver's actually going to be a very good defenseman. Probably second pairing, I would say. Barzal is just on a different level than either of Kyle Connor and Oliver Shillington, because he's essentially an elite first-line franchise center, and he's the kind of guy that you build a team around. And I think that, for a lot of reasons, the Islanders don't honestly know how to build the team, because, I don't know, their management office has always been a little bit up and down, and I feel like... While they do have a number of talented prospects and players that they've acquired over the years, there just seems to be something missing. I feel like with somebody like Barzal, I think he's played with Andersley and a few other guys over the course of his career, uh, which is still burgeoning, I would say. But it's not like he has, you know, a phenomenal young talent flanking him. I feel like they could use another high-end scoring winger of some sort down the road, or find somebody who can be an elite poacher. Maybe they take a chance on somebody like Anthony Duclair who you really don't need to be defensively oriented, you just need him to be at the end of the, I guess, passes and feeds that Barzal is so good at setting up. Matthew can control so much of the ice that it really seems like a natural transition to find somebody who can be that elite poacher. Maybe this guy isn't really going to be a high-end playmaker and setup man, but he doesn't have to be when he's got Matthew Barzal, you know, centering him and feeding him all the time. One guy who might be an interesting fit for Barzal's skill set is arguably Josh Anderson, who is somehow falling out of favor with the Columbus Blue Jackets because the Jackets kind of gambled that they could, you know, control his contract future, and they ended up losing that gamble like they kind of lost some of their other gambles. Anderson is kind of what happens if Adam Lowry was a winger and had serious hands, and I feel like when you factor in Barzal's ability to basically pass from the moon if he wanted to, he would be able to find Anderson in so much space, and Josh is capable of being a wrecking ball anywhere inside the goal crease. So if you want to combine that with Barzal's vision and passing, I think that that's a match made in heaven. Anderson's also kind of a talented playmaker in his own right, but I could see, you know, the Islanders will probably go for somebody like Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who fits, you know, more of a center role for them. They need somebody who can be a a middle 6C down the center, and I think that Josh Anderson probably doesn't fit that role, and Anderson will be looking for a nice contract extension. You know, and so is Pajot, but Pajot... I think probably fits what the Islanders want to do a bit better, even though Barzal could still use a poacher on his wing. My guess is that they're hoping that somebody like Kiefer Bellows steps in and becomes the finisher that Barzal really could use. On his own, though, Barzal is still an offensive force to be reckoned with and arguably one of the best centers outside of Braden Point. Somebody who really kind of goes under the radar just because he's not racked up like 60 points already, but he plays hockey that's on a level high enough that if he had somebody on his wing who could finish for him, he'd definitely be in that conversation. He really is an elite franchise forward and somebody that... Islanders fans can look forward to for a long, long time. Also on this prime centers list, I'm gonna go outside of the box here a little bit and I want to take Yasperi Kotkaniemi, who I think for a lot of reasons people don't always appreciate his two-way defensive game. Now Kotkaniemi has taken something of a step back this season, but it's only his second year in the NHL and I think his rookie season gives hope for a lot of things going forward. For one thing, he plays a surprisingly mature, defensively reliable game when he's at his best. He's also actually a pretty creative playmaker, and he can really do some damage if he has time and space to create. He has pretty decent edge work, he's got very sharp vision, I think his passing and distribution are are very good. He's got a pretty decent release, and Kotkanemi's just a very well-rounded center. If he becomes your elite second-line center going forward, I think that's a win. Yes, Perry again, tends to be overshadowed a bit by a lot of guys, you know, we're talking Elias Pettersson and a few others from even his own draft class, guys like Brady Tuchuk, Ch- Ch- Andres Svechnikov, Rasmus Dalin. All of these players have gone on to have much more prolific, at least on the face of it, prolific careers than Kotkaniemi has. But I think Kotkaniemi has a lot of upside, and he's still rounding out into form. The season, again, has been a bit of a struggle for him, but I think Montreal overall has to be pretty happy with how he's developed. If he can eventually regain his form, I think that they have a very mature, well-rounded two-way center who can really create a lot of offense, um, even though his points totals haven't been there yet. If nothing else, his rookie season proved that he's capable of shutting down elite opposition and really managing a defensive play in his own end with good positioning and smart instincts. If he can start to generate more offense in the other end of the ice, I think that, you know you might start thinking about whether or not he could be a first-line center. Again, it's a little bit early to say that he's um, really disappointed beyond the fact that it's just not as good as he was last season, and in fact his defensive value has definitely gone down, but Kotkaniemi is somebody who I am quietly keeping an eye on. Montreal has a habit of picking up very good players who are perhaps a bit underappreciated for their skill sets, but who continually perform when you give them the right presence and stage. Jesperi is somebody who has a very bright future and I think is going to be somebody that Habs fans are going to like for a long time, just like, you know, Barzell. He's not really on that level, and I don't think he ever will be, but somebody once compared him a little bit to, like, a very light version of Patrice Bergeron, and I think that even getting mentioned in the same stylistic uh, approach to Bergeron, who can can really dominate in both ends of the ice, I think that that's a really great honor. And while Kotkaniemi may never have that kind of career, he's certainly a very skilled center. And if, if he's like a, a second-line guy going forward, again, Montreal will be thrilled with that. Closing out our list tonight, we're going to pick a couple of young prime NHL goalies. I'm going to skip Connor Hellebuck just because I think I've talked enough about how good he's been this season. And really, eh, it's time for a change of pace. So... The first guy that I'm going to choose is, you know, he's not had the world's best season, in part because it's the Anaheim Ducks, and I think if you're expected to do well there, you're probably having a a few unrealistic expectations being placed upon your shoulders. In the case of John Gibson, he was basically what Connor Hellebuck is this year, only he might have even been better for Anaheim because of just how bad the Ducks were. Uh, Past couple of seasons, Gibson has been, at least in my book, the presumptive Vezina winner, even though he really hasn't actually, you know, he hasn't won the trophy. Goalie wins always predominate these award ceremonies, so you know, Gibson tends to go a bit under the radar, despite being one of the NHL's truly elite netminders. I think his consistent performance, the fact that he continually saves well above goals saved above average compared to the rest of the league's NHL netminders, and given the the team that he's really playing behind, John Gibson is something of a miracle worker. That he actually got them to the playoffs a couple seasons ago especially with the state that the Ducks were in, is truly a testament to just how good he is. When Carlisle was still the head coach, um, they basically were where the Jets are now, which is surrendering tons of shots, tons of quality opportunities, and really not generating anything in the other end of the ice. Gibson was still keeping the team in it, and actually stealing quite a few games for the Ducks. Those days for him are probably a bit over, just because uh, you you can't expect your lead netminder to cover all of your mistakes forever, and eventually time does catch up to you. Hellebuck is already starting to see some of those returns, uh, especially in the past couple of months. I think that the Jets are going to have a bit of a crashing out if they don't... I don't know. I don't know how they're going to fix things. But John Gibson, he kind of went through the same thing. The Ducks are pretty bad this season. Last season they were too, and now they really can't hide it. So I hope that that's not the trajectory that the Jets take. On a more, I guess, cheerier note, our next goaltender that we're going to select is going to be... Ilya Samsonov. The rookie Caps netminder, arguably has already stolen the starting role from Braden Holtby, whether the team will admit that or not. Samsonov is very good. He's a pretty big kid. He's been pretty technically refined, and I feel like, generally speaking, he's got great rebound control. He has pretty good vision. His reads are sharp and on time. He's just a really smart, good goalie and his KHL numbers apparently were no accident. When he came stateside, he was, of course, deployed to the Hershey Bears, and his AHL numbers were a bit underwhelming, but I think people have to understand that it it does take a while for guys coming from overseas to get used to North American shooters. Sometimes the quality and talent differential is a little bit noticeable, but I think the Hershey Bears are also not that great of a team. They've gone through quite a few changes over the past couple of years, and with Washington gutting that squad to, to sub up their uh, main Caps team, I think it's understandable that Simsonov was thrown around in a few unfamiliar, challenging situations where his on-ice performance didn't really match up to what you'd hope for somebody of his caliber. He was actually a pretty highly touted prospect when he was taken, but even then, he's still been slowly marinating. This year, though, he's absolutely... Well... I don't want to say dominated, but as much as you might expect a Ricky goaltender to, to come in and take the role, he's really dominated for the Caps. In 19 games, where he actually started 16 of them, he's rocking a 9-2-7 save percentage. After a little over a 1,000 minutes, he's got one shutout, and generally speaking, the Caps have played pretty well, uh, you know, well enough to at least give him a shot, but of course Washington's defense will still give up a number of high-danger uh, scoring chances against. Samsonov has been very sharp during these opportunities, and I think that the 22-year-old has quite a bit to offer this team. As he starts to take away the workload away from Braden Holpe, I think you can tell that the Caps are already envisioning Ilya becoming the lead starter either this year or next season. His success is probably not going to be the the Philip Grubauer conundrum, where Grubauer would have some really long, hot streaks and then go completely cold for weeks at a time. I think Samsonov has a much more well-rounded technical base to build on, and based on his KHL performance... I think Caps fans are in for a treat with him. With Braden aging out, it was important for Washington to find a long-term replacement in net, especially since Holtby's contract is up, and he's going to be asking probably $6.5 million or more on on the open market. Ilya looks to be very comfortable in his current role as, I guess, a 1B of sorts, although he's eventually going to take over the lead role I think for the rest of this year, I'd imagine. He's one of the brightest up-and-coming NHL netminders, and I think that more people should start paying attention to him, especially if he starts making a real case for the Calder Trophy. He might actually earn it this year because he's been that spectacular for the Caps and net. And uh, for now, that will conclude our current segment. On the next episode, I'm going to be taking a look at a couple of different prospects across all of the systems. We're going to do our winger, defenseman, and center format again, and hopefully pick out a couple of names that you might not even be thinking about. Alright guys, as always, thanks again for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!